0: Welcome to the Palmetto Championship, and it's a week before the U.S. Open. We are Joel. We are Sia. This is the Wind Daily PGA Livestream. Joel, how are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm excited for uh, another, another week. Uh, this
1: week is going to be interesting, uh, to say the least. It's not your typical field by any stretch of the imagination, uh, which just means that we're going to have more fun today breaking it down for you guys.
0: You know what I was thinking of today? Um, this this Brooks v Bryson thing, which is going to play into like what we're going to talk about right from the jump. Because obviously, there's the narrative out there that Brooks doesn't get up for the majors. He certainly doesn't get up for tournaments that are a week before the major. You know all this stuff, all this kind of narrative based stuff, which might be correct and might be like really dumb. I'm not sure which side to fall on. I know what take I'm going to have, so stay tuned for that. But I love I love this, and I love how like it feels like it's. They're motivating each other. And that's part of the reason, you know, spoiler alert, that's part of the reason I actually like Brooks this week. But with all of that said, it feels like a, like almost like it's like a movie script. Like the PGA is like knocking them out of the park. They got Phil Mickelson winning a major. They've got, you know, Hideki, you know, winning one for Japan. Like there's so much like Jordan Spieth is back. And it just seemed like movie script-ish. And somebody asked me what my top three movies were yesterday. And I'm like, I want to ask Joel. So before we even talk about this tournament at all, Joel, what comes to mind? I say, maybe you don't have three. Maybe you have two. Maybe you have one. I'm going to ask you, what are your top three favorite movies? Like you just you can pop them in any time. You're like, man, this movie's awesome. I love it.
1: it that's a loaded question. Um, it it's hard to it's hard to narrow down you know, your topic. But I have three that you know typically come to mind when we think of favorite movies. The first for me is, is an easy one. And it's Remember the Titans. I, as like a kid growing up, was obsessed with that movie. I watched it so many times. I think I watched it so many times. Like I don't really watch it much now, just because I've, I've outdone it. Like I can probably recite the entire movie line for line. So mm-hmm. all of me some remember the Titans. Um, two, I'd have to go with probably Wedding Crashers. It's definitely my most quoted movie. Uh, you know, every every opportunity I get, you know, I'm yelling at somebody, make me a bicycle clown or something along those lines. So uh, definitely put that in the in the mix, and then at number three, um, you know, I don't think I can make a commitment to number three. There's too many. I think I'm gonna have to stick with two.
0: That's fair. Uh, it's funny. So I have, I have three that come to mind, um, and it's funny because one of them I can literally recite the final scene. I mean, that's I, I love the movie so much. So let me start with the other two first. So White Men Can't Jump, I think, is amazing. I'm dating myself a little bit. You know, I was. I was in high school in the mid-90s, early 90s, when that came out. I love that movie. And it's timeless. So for those of you that are a little younger than me, check that movie out. Um, let's see. Number two is Any Given Sunday. We're going to stick with the sports theme. I absolutely love that movie. Love Jamie Foxx. Think he's an extremely talented musician and actor. I got to play basketball with him down here in South Florida about like 10 years ago. Super fun. Super nice guy. Couldn't wow. be more did, did, did humble. He good? He is pretty good. He stays around the three-point line. But his shot is good. And, you know, he drilled a few. I was actually was fortunate enough to be his teammate for a few games in a row uh, on a couple days in a row. Actually, super, super nice guy. The third movie is A Few Good Men. That's the one I can literally recite the final scene, that whole like you can't handle the truth part. And Jack Nicholson's like Colonel Jessup's sort of like diatribe that he goes into. I got that one down. That That kind of spurred me towards law school. So. You know, maybe later in the show, i'll just I'll go off on a tangent and I'll just recite that final scene for everybody. if 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 I get enough people in the chat that want me to do that, I'm gonna go ahead and do that because I don't think people believe me that I can for those of you in the chat, by the way, s guy's already here. Ivan's already here. Go ahead and throw your favorite movies in the chat, man. i'm I'm, I'm kind of curious whether it's your top movie or your top three. I mean let's let's well, hear that.
1: While they're doing that, i'll I'll throw in my third. My third mm-hmm. is, it's a it's an out of left field one, but I, I do it. I love the Lion King. the OG, the cartoon. Great mm-hmm. film, great a great soundtrack. Um, I think it's just very underrated. And I'm really excited that, you know, my son's getting old enough right now. It's like normal for me to have to watch it again. So, <laughs>
0: the Lion King is fantastic. Uh, I think as far as those like staple Disney movies, when really Disney put themselves on on the sort of the animation map, I think Aladdin and Lion King are awesome movies. Well-written, well-produced Um just uh, ahead of their times, really in a lot of different ways. So I love those movies. Oh, I'm glad I asked you that question. All right. See, you know, we gotta, we gotta start every show, I think, with like just some random question. You know, we'll see what happens. Get to know the people listening and we'll get to know uh, each other a little bit more. So. Speaking of getting to know people, wow, look at this roster of players at the Palmetto Championship. I mean, we're at Congaree. It's a brand new course. It's, it's, you know, this was supposed to be in Canada. It's the second year in a row that Canada has declined because of, you know, COVID issues that they are going to pass on holding their tournament. So we're in South Carolina and it's a pretty unknown course. There's a handful of players that have played on this course, like your Lucas Glovers and your Kevin Kisners and, you know, a handful of other players And, you know, it's a long course. You know, whether it plays long is a different question, but we certainly don't have the answers to those questions right now. I mean, it's a par 71. I think it's almost 7,600 yards. Sounds to me like being long is definitely going to be a benefit here. But as usual, it's not imperative to be long. Uh, I know I'm looking, Joel, at the, the off the tee game more than I normally do. I'm looking at the longer iron shots, those longer proximities, you know, 175, 200 plus. Now I'm not only looking at those, I'm looking at the entire approach, of course, but I'm also looking at those longer proximities. And I think these are going to be tricky and fast screens. I actually think putting is, is really important here. Now anybody can get hot with a putter. So you got to be careful with that. But I do think having a quote confident putter is really going to help you this week because just landing it on the green isn't necessarily going to get you super far. So you, you got to be able to putt. You got to three-putt avoid, Joel. I know you always factor that into your models. So I think putting is going to take, not center stage, but it's going to certainly be in the picture more than it normally is. So, Joel, with that said, before we get into this top tier, which is only four players deep, deservedly so because this isn't a, a talent-ridden field, uh, anything else about the course you wanted to add in or do you want to just jump to the players?
1: Yeah. The, the only thing is, you know, obviously there's not a lot to go off of from previous experience. It's a relatively new course, especially during the tour. So um, there are a few guys that have played there, but for the most part, what I've been reading is that they struggled and that it was really hard. So I don't want to play. I don't want to go after them. Right. Cause they were, there wasn't like they're going in there and shooting really low except for Luke list. But uh, what I did see is that um, it's really long, like Cia said, and there's a lot of really long holes. So, if you can factor that into your models of, you know, some of the longer par fours and things like that, some of the longer par threes, that's the, those are the guys this week that we should be. Yeah.
0: And there are some bare, bare of par fours. There's a, there's a par five, that's like 600 and and change. So uh, the long game is going to certainly going to benefit you. But again, this course is going to play pretty fast. So uh, unless there's like heavy rain, you, you know, you probably will be able to get it there, even if you're a shorter hitter, um, easier than than people think, which is why I suppose guys like Kevin Kisner are in play. Uh, which, frankly, he's not going to be on my list of players. But just something to think about. Oh, uh, we got a couple responses, so I'm going to ask you about who you like in the top four. But Ivan, Friday Night Lights, Kung Fu Panda. Int- oh, Jack Black, interesting. Uh, Star Wars Episode Five, and then Logan pipes in with greatest game ever played, gem of a golf movie. I have not seen that movie, and we're doing a golf show, so I feel compelled. To catch up. So thanks for the advice there, Logan. And then I think I, I flashed Ivan. Remember the Titans, great choice. Compliments to Draftmaster Flex there. By the way, uh, we have some free content already on windailysports.com. My article, I'm pretty sure every week is free. So it's my initial picks article. Those do kind of grow and get called as the week goes and and what i really mean by that is you know as tomorrow goes and we get in discord and we have our chats but for the most part i stick with my initial picks so it's definitely a good starting point go to windailysports.com you should be able to read that you might have to like do a username password i'm not really sure but it's super easy to get access to all that free content obviously subscribe to our youtube channel that's a ton of free content across all sports we do shows every day other than this week john jansen's taking the week off but john jansen mike north 12 o'clock eastern standard time they do betting picks every single day. And then we have Tony Cotillo uh, covering the weekend. So make sure you subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and to the YouTube channel. Joel, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Terrell Hatton. I think it's safe to say you can make arguments for all four of these guys. But, I mean, maybe you want to give me your order. Maybe you just want to give me a couple guys that you like. Where are you at here? Well, what I find to be interesting this week
1: is um, – the top tier more, more so like it's obviously the opposite of what we were saying last week and the week before when we were like the top There's not much of a difference in the top tier and the next tier. You might as well start the next tier because, you know, you're just getting the salary savings and these guys are all just as good. Not in the case this week. Right now, I'm saying the top tier is head and shoulders above the rest of the of the field. Um, and it's, I almost think they're mispriced, like, even though they're still the most expensive. I think they should even be more expensive because mm-hmm. it feels like we have a bunch of all stars playing in a JV game. Um, so with that being said, um, DJ, I know he's not been in his form. This is still the number one golfer in the world playing. It feels like in a JV game where the course actually with the distance and everything like that suits him, right? This should be like, even with all the main guys, this should be a course that suits him. Well, so if you have a course that suits the best golfer in the world, well, not playing against the top competition, I feel like he could be priced at fifteen hundred, fifteen thousand 15000 this week, and I would have been like, that's a fair price. So at this price, I, I love DJ. And one of my cardinal rules with with uh, with playing DFS is that you never want to overexpose yourself to someone because you never know what could happen. You know, this could happen. You know, they, they could start tee off at 9 a.m. or at 7 a.m., and then DJ could withdraw and prepare for the tournament next week, and then you're just stuck with all this exposure that you can't get out. Um, but I'm going to roll the dice, and I'm going with it, and I think I'm going to go all in on DJ. I think every lineup that I put out is going to have DJ in it.
0: Wow. So I kind of feel the same way. It's about Brooks, though. And and I, by the way, I'm, I'm all for you taking your shot at DJ. I mean, it's one of those things that whether – listen, you can believe that maybe these guys don't take – you know, these types of tournaments seriously and that they're tune-ups. I think that might be more true for DJ than Brooks just because DJ's in lesser form than Brooks is, even though DJ's technically the better pe- player from a ranking standpoint. Brooks is clearly in the better form. Brooks is definitely going to rate out number one in people's models, is certainly if they're lost 24 or 36 rounds. With that said, what if the narrative about these two guys is wrong? If, if To your point, if the narrative that they're just tuning up is wrong, which I kind of think is – is a little ridiculous to say, like, they're not – because what you're really implying is that they're not going to try. And I understand, like, sometimes, like, we have we have metrics to bear this out, that they don't dominate the week before majors. But two things there – one is golf is a very, like, variant sport. Like, you can be the best and finish 25th or 45th or miss the cut. Like, it happens all the time. So it doesn't prove your point that Brooks doesn't take, you know, non-major seriously when he finishes 27th in a tournament. That does not prove your point. Th- those are not necessarily correlative. So let's just put that away real quick. I mean, if, if he did if he did have a history of, like, withdrawing after round one because he's just like, I'm bored, or missing the cut every single time because he's like, I, I'm just tuning up. I'm not going to shoot my normal shot here. That, that's a little different, but I think Brooks Koepka is playing better golf than almost anybody in the country and, or in the world, I should say. And you're getting him really at a discount to your point, him and DJ, if they play optimal golf, they are so f- over four days, mind you, this assumes they make the cut. They are so far and above better than your whether it's Matthew Fitzpatrick or Kevin Kisner or CT Pan as you go down the list or Sung Jm like they're so much better than those guys that over four days if they really were playing optimal golf for them they clear this field by five or six strokes I mean it's it's a potential I mean, yeah. it's a potential runaway so it's one of those things even if you believe in the narrative that they're not taking it super seriously I feel like you have to have a couple shares no matter what because let's just like. They're coming. All, the U.S. opens on the other side of the country, by the way. They're coming over, just to, like they're flying over. They're prepping just to kind of like mail it in. I mean, I I don't see that. And then, if you, in, in Brooks' case, if you add the Bryson Brooks rivalry, that. Brooks Kepka literally created because he needs that chip on his shoulder. Brooks Kepka needs a motivator, which is probably why that majors thing really came into play for Brooks, because maybe it's true. Maybe he just needed some extra incentive to really focus. Well, now he has it because he's all over social media bashing Bryson. And he knows if he fails, whether it's the U.S. Open or this tournament, that Bryson's probably going to be on social media making fun of him. So now he is sort of self, he's created this motivational pull to try to kind of dominate, maybe win the FedEx Cup, maybe become the best golfer in the world. And I think it's like prime time to just go ahead and take Brooks. So whether it's DJ or Brooks, I'm all about it. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, Hatton's great. Hatton's fine. I think Matthew Fitzpatrick, I think it's a really good bounce back spot for him. He hasn't been that good on approach, but he's been good everywhere else, particularly off the tee and with the short game. So I think it's kind of a good course for Matthew Fitzpatrick. Same with Hatton. But my two guys here, Joel, and you can kind of respond to what I'm saying here, but I like Brooks Kepka and my pivot in the elite range is Matthew Fitz, or I should say Matt Fitzpatrick, because that's what he wants to be called now. So it's Brooks and Matt for me. It's not that I don't like the other guys. It's just I feel like Brooks and Matt are going to be better on this course this week. And what say you? So, you know, I wanna do want to
1: touch on what you were saying. I am with I agree with you, and I don't buy the I'm gonna show up but I'm not gonna try or if you're coming to a tournament, you're you're gonna try to win it. Like wh- why would you not? No one shows up to a tournament and says, I'm not gonna win this one. Right? I, I'm gonna try and lose. That doesn't make any sense. Now, what I will buy into maybe a little bit is that they don't do all the same preparations that they do for other tournaments. Maybe they they you know, you know, Brooks was at the fight the other night, you know, this weekend. So maybe that's the type of stuff you might do, and that I can I can get behind, but when he's there, he's going to be trying to do his lowest score. He's not going there to not try and get his lowest score. So you're going to get their full effort when they're on the course. So that I don't buy. And I do think we're getting such a big difference in talent at this top that I don't think how much preparation can you have on a course that no one's played before. So, um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not buying the, they're not going to try. Um, and I, don't forget DJ lives in South Carolina, so you know this is like his home, a home court kind of thing for him. I think he might want to win this tournament, you know, at home and be a little extra special to him. Other than that, I'm completely fine with everyone in this range. DJ is my pick; that's who I'm rolling with. But uh, you know, Ty- Tyrell Hatton, the the biggest thing I don't like about him with this week is ownership. It looks like he's going to be mm-hmm. the highest owned in this mm-hmm. in this range, which you know I don't think he's the best golfer, so I think he's a good play. He grades out well through the metrics for this course, but. At the highest ownership, I think they're all, you know, I'd rather just kind of pivot to Fitzpatrick, who I like also, and is also probably better than most of this field. But like I said in the beginning, my go-to this week is going to be DJ.
0: Yeah, I totally agree about Hatton. It's going to be kind of, strange if he does well because I, I had been riding him most of the year and now i'm kind of off him and of course that's when he's going to be successful right but yeah he's looking at like 25 ownership highest of these top four guys it's just it's it's almost like hv3 like i think hv3 is good for this course but i'm probably not going to play much of him because he's going to be really popular too so there's certain instances where if a guy's really popular and i kind of think it's a toss-up between let's say him and matt fitzpatrick I'll just go with the lower owned guy. So it's one of those things where I play a lot of single entry. I play some cash. I play some three max. I don't need to worry about ownership percentage as much because I play those tournaments. But literally if I like Matt Fitzpatrick and Terrell Hatton the same, it literally doesn't make sense for me to take Terrell Hatton if I like them the same. And I do this tournament and I, I like the spot for Matt Fitzpatrick a lot. So those are, those are my top two. I think, I think we've done what we can on those top four. I mean, I think it's pretty clear we both like DJ and Brooks I don't want to say that's a minority view because people are going to play them, but I definitely think people are hanging on to the narrative. And by the way, DJ's play hasn't been that great lately. So, I mean, it would make sense to be like, listen, I need to see it from DJ, but then he's the best in the world for a reason. Like guys like that can turn it around at a moment's notice at a tournament's notice. So I totally understand the argument for DJ. I think the reason I have Brooks elevated over him is it sounds ridiculous. Now I'm getting into narrative building, but that Bryson Brooks thing, man, this is like a real thing that, again, Brooks created, that in my opinion, he created it because he needed that extra something. Maybe he didn't realize it, that he was doing it consciously. Maybe it was a subconscious thing. But now it's here, and now it's his time to prove that he's either the best in the world or at the very least better than Bryson, and every tournament matters in that capacity. So you know what I think about
1: it? I think, you know, Brooks created it, but – I think Brooks thinks it's fun and funny. I don't think it really bothers him. I think it bothers Bryson. You can tell like, Bryson's mm-hmm. kicking people out of the tournament. Like it's under his skin. Whereas I think Brooks like gets a kick out of it. He has fun with it, but like I don't think he really like loses sleep over it.
0: No, I totally agree with you. But nonetheless, he knows if he has a poor showing at any tournament in this moment in time, he's probably going to get some feedback from a one from a Bryson or from Bryson fans or or something. Like a miscut here where it looks like he's efforting, but he just plays really poorly. It's just not going to go well on social media for him, whether it's this week or next week. So I think there is a small piece of motivation that's going to propel him to, like, quote try in this tournament all right so we've we've done that elite range let's go to the 9k range this is not a range i'm in love with uh it's not a big range and i'll just read off the names for those of you um that are listening to the podcast and, and don't have it in front of you. harris english sung jm tommy fleetwood ian poulter kazire and garrick Higo. anybody you like here i'm not a big fan of much so, we're not going to be able to get too many of these guys in if we're going to stick with our original game plan of going for the
1: top guys. Um, two guys I do like here a, a good amount are Sung Jay. Um, you know, again, this is a golfer who I think is consistently just above the rest of the field, and Kazire. Now, the, the, my issue with Kazire is I love Pat and Kazire as like a. You know, mid to low 8K golfer that he normally is in these tournaments, where you can squeeze him into a lot of your lineups. Now you're paying your premium, but rightfully so. In this field, he deserves to be this price. He's not overpriced. Uh, it's just you know different to see him you know at the top tier. But you know the way he's striking the ball, he can compete this week. So if anyone of the two, of of this range that I'm going to get in it, it's uh, those two guys.
0: Yeah, I I like that call. I think Sung Jay is a smart, kind of safeish call. He obviously can win in this field. I don't love how the form has been really for quite some time. I feel like ever since he got a home and wasn't like living like house to house or hotel to hotel or out of his car or whatever it was last year, I feel like things have changed a little bit. So I I don't know that that maybe is just a coincidence, but Sung Jay's fine. You know, I I don't know that I'm going to be playing him for most of the reasons that you just said when you started off. I think Fleetwood is interesting, but. He's still not really striking the ball well enough for me to choose him over just paying up for like a Terrell Hatton, for example, or a Matthew Fitzpatrick, Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, is interesting. He's he's a hit-or-miss guy. You know, it's just one of those things. He can absolutely crush it with the ball striking and the putting, and then he can kind of fall off the map. I think he's a great – there's – there's a handful of guys that I really like for like showdown this week. He's definitely probably going to be one of them. You know, Johnny Vegas is another one of them. Luke list who I like kind of in both, whether it's four rounds or showdown, I like him a little bit more for showdown because I don't think he'll have a hot putter for four days, but he certainly could have one for one or two. So we can get kind of like talk about that. I mean, Keith Mitchell's another one of those guys that'll probably be more of a showdown play for me, um, but let's get to that 8k range. I, I don't think we need to spend too much time on the 9k range. I will say that Garrett Kigo is not popular, but he'll be in that 10% range. And he's really kind of dominated lately out on the European tour. I don't know how that's going to translate here. The good news for him is that typically when we're talking about a European coming over to like a PGA tour event, typically it's a pretty loaded field. You know, it's 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 at least a good field. And what we have here is kind of like a, almost like a Corrales type field. So if somebody like that, who was dominating in Europe, was going to come over and hit big here, you know, top three, top five, outright win, that kind of thing. It would be with this field and on this course, which is kind of like a Lynx-ish style European course. So any thoughts on him? Is that somebody you're going to roster?
1: So he is interesting. Uh, He is not making my roster because of the price. If he Mm -hmm. was 8K, I probably would play a lot of him. Uh, But at 9K, I just don't feel like there's an edge you know, yes, this is a field that he usually does well in, right? This is similar to a European tour, probably a little better. But, again, this is a weaker field that he, he might be able to do really well. But there's, you know, five or six guys up in the nine-plus range that I just prefer over him. So uh, in order for me to make those builds work, I just can't afford another 9K guy in my, in my player pool. Yeah,
0: that totally makes sense. So let's go to the 8K range. And before I kick it to you, I'm going to tell you who I like. Um As everybody knows, I pick a secret weapon every single week. Uh, The secret weapon is a guy that is less than 5% owned or at least projected to be less than 5% owned as of Wednesday night, as of Stephen Pilardi's article that he puts on winddailysports.com at about 6 uh, Eastern Standard Time. And not only is he less than five percent owned, but he has to be in the six K range. In other words, less than than seven thousand. So it's just one of those like big time leverage plays. Now I'm thirty six and nine with with the secret weapon, which is a pretty staggering record. A lot of those guys have contended uh, in, in terms of like being there on Sunday afternoon. You know, most of them don't. But again, thirty six and nine in terms of making the cut, and a lot of those are, are like you know doing wonders for your team. With that said, Alexander Norn, who's at the top of this 8K range, was my secret weapon last week, and it's just so funny because last week he's 6,800. Nobody owns him. He's in like the four percent or three percent range or whatever it was. He's our secret weapon. So everybody at Wind Daily that rostered him, including a guy who won a lot of money, he posted after Sunday after after Sunday evening, and he had he had the secret weapon in his lineup. Well. He's all of a sudden eighty nine hundred, so it's a pretty staggering price. Uh, but I do think he rates out well, the, both the short and long game for Alex Dorn is really pretty good. I totally understand if people want to pivot off of him because he's going to be popular. But I did want to throw him out there. I think, I think he actually has some outright potential here, um, and I certainly think he has top ten potential. The way he's playing, he seems like a great course fit. Uh, if you want to pivot because he looks like he's going to be like sixteen to eighteen percent owned feel free to do that. Another guy that I like that's pretty popular and he's played on this course and everybody at this point in the week knows it, uh Lucas Glover. He's going to be popular. He's going to be over 15% owned. Lucas Glover has been like forget about the fact that he knows the course because I don't think that's enough to like launch some guy into 15, 16, 17% status, but Joel, you'll recall, we've been doing these shows and talking about Lucas Glover for a few weeks now. I mean, Lucas Glover has played Really, really good golf. And if you do a model, let's say it's the last 24 rounds, Glover's going to be in your top 10. I mean, honestly, it's you'd be hard-pressed to like shift the metrics around last 24 rounds to exclude Glover from your top 10. That's how well he's striking it. So he's going to be popular for a reason. I think he's a great cash game play. Maybe you want to pivot off of him in GPP, or maybe you want to play him and pivot somewhere else. I'll give you two more guys that I like before I kick it to you. HB3, I think I like him more for showdown. I hate when HB3 is popular, no matter the price, because when he's popular, he typically lets everybody down. And I I think he's really a good course fit here. I don't think I'm going to play a lot of him, but I I felt like I had to mention him because I do think he's a good course fit. The last guy who's going to be much less owned is Scott Stallings at 8,000. Scott Stallings, I believe, has made five cuts in a row. Um, A couple of those have been top finishes. I think he had a third place finish three tournaments ago. He did well at the Zurich. I think him and his partner finished 11th. Stallings is just striking the ball well I mean he, you know he can miss the cut yeah but the approach game has been there off the tee game is kind of shaky short game is okay at 8,000 I think Scott Stallings is a pretty good deal so I think those are the four guys I'm kind of keyed on I, I will say that I think Snedeker and Jonathan Vegas are fine plays I think CT Pan is a good leverage play if you want to go there but in terms of the four that I'm or I should say three because I'm not going to play much HB 3 the three that I'm focused on are Lucas Glover, alexander norn and scott stallings joel where are you at in the 8k range
1: so for this week you know in order to make a lot of dj work and things like that you got to take some stances so there's a lot of guys in this range who i actually like and if you don't want to play that way and you want to be more balanced i think guys like noren uh in the will make a lot of sense i think even if you want to take a shot on somebody like keith mitchell uh, i totally get all that uh but if you're going to be playing a whole lot of that top range you got to just sacrifice some of these guys because you won't be able to afford it. So that's where I am. A lot of sacrifices for this rage. The guys that will make my rosters that, that, that have been like my top picks are Glover. Glover's is going to be on some of my rosters. He, like you said, Sam, he's playing too good to be fitted in a field like this, you know, in a field like this, he's an all-star, right? He's a guy that belongs in these bigger PGA tour events. HB uh, 3 as well. I like Glover a bit more. I, I kind of feel very similarly the, to you do about HB 3 uh, when he gets popular, it kind of makes me – he's very volatile. Like h three is the type of guy that when he's not popular, he's like a fun sneaky play because he does have that upside and an unpopular player. But for a guy that like more often than not will not be consistent, to pick him up with a bunch of ownership um, is scary. So um, I can definitely see why you would want to pivot off of him. But I will touch on, I think, Jonathan Vegas, you know, he's another one where he grades out really well. The price is a little steep for the type of golfer he is. Um, but, again, in this field, he, he is, you know, in the way he's grading out, he certainly makes sense. But Brent Snedeker, I lot. a lot know when people look at him and they run their numbers, that might get turned off a little bit because he's not the longest hitter. And this is supposed to be a really long course. So if that's your narrative that you're playing, I can see him maybe losing some ownership because of that. But – he is—he's historically been a you know B golfer in regular fields, uh, who had gotten to a cold streak the last year or two. and seems to be coming around. Um, if you look at his last five outings, he has a sixth, forty-two, 11, 17, and fifty. So at eight thousand four hundred, this is a guy, uh, and those fields are, were stronger than this. So this definitely, definite top ten uh, potential out of Snedeker, um, and then the rest of this this field, I'm pretty much gonna have to to wave. I, I'm with you. I think. Your take on Stalin is a really good one. Uh, I'll probably have a small percent of him in, in there as well. But, again, it's just hard to get all these guys into your lineups.
0: Yeah, that's that's solid. I totally agree. No, I, I, like, I like most of those guys that you mentioned. And, yeah, you're going to have to make decisions from a lineup construction standpoint. I mean, I know – the first few lineups I made were Brooks Kepka, and then I just skipped the 9K range. I went into the mid 8K range, and I was able to grab whether it was a Noren or a Stallings or anywhere in between. I was able to do that, but then that left me in like the low 7-ish range, which which is okay because there's some guys in the mid to low 7s and high 6s that, that you can play. Go ahead, Joel.
1: Well, what I was going to add to that is once we get below this range, you know, maybe even the bottom of this range, there's not even a big difference from yeah. the, the seventh up right. At that point, most of these guys are interchangeable. So I almost would say like the reason the main reason why I'm fading these guys is because there's guys that below in the seven range I like equally that I just need the salary
0: savings on. So it's just an unfortunate price tag is all it is. Yeah, that's a really good point. So for this particular tournament, you don't really want to get yourself stuck on the price, especially once you get to like I'm I'm really ballparking it. But let's just say, like, right under Snedeker, for example, like, let's say, or maybe right under Jonathan Vegas. Actually, no, right under Snedeker at 8,300, I think you're talking about a lot of the same guys until you get down to, like, 6,900. And I'm not even, like, exaggerating the point. I really think the margins between – and and the real the real reason I'm telling people that is because a lot of people make their lineups a certain way, and, and it's totally understandable. It's just very natural to be like, I want to take this guy. I want to take, like, Brooks Koepka or DJ or whatever, and I want to take – Alexander Norn, and then, okay, I have to take a a low-end guy because I need the price savings, so I'm going to go down and I'm going to take, you know, Hammer and Hank Lebiota, who I'll talk about in a little bit. And then, okay, good, I have a little bit more money, and then, you just kind of go back and forth. And then you're left with a number. For your last guy, you're left with a number, and let's say it's, like, 7,700. Do not get stuck on that number and feel you have to jam in somebody between, like, 7,400 and 7,700 because you want to be in that talent class, right? Because the difference between the 7,700 guy and a 7,000 guy, like a Roger Sloan, for example, who could pop at a course like this, is so small. So don't feel like you have to like, spend all your money when, when you're at that point in the process, when you're on your last player, because the pricing just at that point, it doesn't really matter. Unless you're at a high-end guy, unless you left yourself with like 9,700 or 10,200 or something as your last guy, you don't need to worry about price as much. Yeah, I have
1: guys that are down in the low seven k range that I have graded higher than the high seven range. So, and that's totally normal for this field because because it's such a weak field, they guys had to get price tags, and they're not that big a difference. What they're supposed to do, they have to. You can't just skip over a whole tier. So,
0: they just get plugged in, and it's on us to then decipher where that value is. Exactly. And so speaking of value, so let's go to that 7k range. I'll start with guys that I've sort of highlighted a couple of these I've put in my initial picks article. Luke List is an interesting one to me when the salaries came out and I like I usually make a team before I do any like legitimate sort of like big time research and Luke List. I was like, I I I like how Luke List has been playing. I I think he's going to be good for this course, you know, and then I saw his putting numbers after the research and, and I knew he was a bad putter. But I mean, it's even in this field, it's it's really bad. And so that's my caution with Luke List, and I think that's why I might like him more as a showdown play versus like a, a regular, you know, four-day tournament play. He's not heavily owned. He'll be under 15% most likely. So it's a little chalky, you know, but not like crazy chalk like a, a Vincent Whaley is going to be. But Luke List is – I could go either way on Luke List. I would say he's probably more of a GPP play for me. I don't think I would play him because of the putting in cash. It just scares me, and, and I do think these are going to be fast, undulating, tricky greens – and a guy who's not confident with the putter doesn't really make me confident about my lineup. So that's my dissertation on Luke List. Martin Laird is interesting to me. He didn't really make the cut. But if you have anything to say about him, I'd be I'd be interested. Vincent Whaley, I love. I mean, listen, he's made nine cuts in a row. It's the fourth longest uh, streak on tour, which is staggering when you think about it. The, the metrics really match up for Vincent Whaley. I mean, he's... 25th off the tee last 24 rounds he's 28th on approach last 24 rounds he's been top 20 with the putter he's good around the green the one maybe watch out for him is that the proximities with the long irons he he really hasn't been super great but listen this guy keeps making cuts now he's a great pivot in in gpp because he's going to be extremely popular so i like him almost more as a cash game play because he keeps doing the top 25 thing but if you want to pivot off of him for GPP, I think that's a smart thing to do. A funny pivot to me is actually Roy Sabatini because even though his metrics don't jump out, I mean, he is a, he's is he's got a strong pedigree. And in this field, I, I feel like Roy Sabatini could step in and be like, you know, I can beat these guys. And he is going to be extremely low-owned. So that's somebody to at least think about in, a, in a, maybe a bigger GPP. I'll give you three more names, actually four more. Ben Martin's been playing really good golf. Um, I think I already have an outright on him at like a ridiculous number. So I like Ben Martin. I don't love Jason Duffner, but I think he's a decent play cause he's going to be low owned and he's, you know, kind of a value at 7,200. I think Joseph Bramlett, if sticks picks was on this, um, podcast with us, he'll be with us next week, but not this week, but he'd be all over Joseph Bramlett. Bramlett can really pop at times. I think he's a decent kind of home run play. And the last guy I'll leave you with, I already mentioned his name, um, He'll be extremely low-owned, so he's he's going to be volatile. Uh, it, it could be a miscut, but if he makes the cut, uh, this is a big-time leverage play, and he's proven it before earlier in the year, and his name is Roger Sloan. So that's who I like in the 7K range. Joel, what say you about some of the guys you like in the 7K range?
1: I'm glad you mentioned Ben Martin. So Ben Martin's my heaviest play of the week after DJ. Uh, wow, so I, awesome. went pretty, I went pretty high on Ben Martin. You're right. He's playing great, and what I really like about him is – he is like uh he's a really good player in this field. When he has to when there's 20 Roms, DJs, Thomas, Speith, it's hard to think that you're gonna pick Ben Martin over those guys, right? But when there's four of them, right, and then you know, he's the next guy I really think I really love him, especially like, and we'll talk about this later, but as like a top 20 play and things like that, I think he can be a really interesting play mm-hmm. there this week. Now, for the rest of this range, um, I think you you were spot on with Luke List in that he's very volatile. So you're playing your big GPPs. That's where you want to target list. He has a very high upside. He can get you a top 10 and top five in this tournament, but he can miss the cut. So you don't want to overexpose yourself to him because you know, he can hurt you a lot as well. But if you're going to play some of those big GPPs and sprinkle them in there, I think that totally makes sense. A guy you didn't mention was uh, Rafa Cabrera Bello. So mm-hmm. he's recently got on my radar over the last couple of weeks. Uh, for those you know who follow Showdown and are watching every day, He's really starting to heat up very recently. So if you're running models going back months and what have you, or tournaments, he's not going to grade out well. You really have to just kind of be banking on over the last two or three tournaments, he's been playing really well. And if he still has that magic this week um, in this field, it's gonna leverage play. So I like him a lot. Uh, you know, Martin Laird is usually a guy that I is like a sleeper of mine that I like to get behind, but this week, you know, he didn't grade out well. His price tag isn't really all that affordable for what he is. So, you know, he just wasn't really fitting into, into what I wanted to do. So I'm, I'm fading him for the most part. Um, a guy who didn't mention that that's definitely on my radar is Sepp Straka. So mm-hmm. we, we know Sepp Straka. He's pretty volatile too. So, you know, be careful with how much your exposure. But he certainly has the upside. I can see him getting a top 15 here this week. Um, if he if he has, his game is clicking, the distance shouldn't be an issue for him. And at this price tag, I think it's a, it's a totally fair price. And what it looks like right now to be really low ownership, which I love a lot. Um, and, and he's a really, really interesting and fun pivot play to Vincent Whaley. Who Whaley is your cash play small G small tournament. He makes a ton of sense. He's making cuts left and right. He has a lot of power for this course. He just makes a lot of sense. Plus, these that. And now you get a battle ownership. And if you're playing mm-hmm. in a fifty thousand person field uh that's where you probably want might want to try and get different and maybe pivot to someone like that like a Straka. uh like we, we went through for ben martin now two guys and I, I also see you guys mentioned him in the chat first i'll start with vegas you know vegas is a guy i've been mentioning a lot recently he's a volatile guy he's hit or miss but we've seen him have some really strong finishes recently in some stronger fields i wouldn't say this is like necessarily a course fit that super suits his game but i just think he's a player that you know has the potential to be a top 10 here, uh, where, you know, especially in GPPs and those bigger tournaments, it can be a differentiator. Now, Seamus Power, I love. You know, I'm a big Seamus Power fan, so I got to say I might have a little bias. I I like him. But the the numbers also say he's a good play, too. I mean, his recent form is really strong. He's done really well in in some recent tournaments, maybe not the strongest fields, but, you know, he has tied for ninth at the Byron Nelson. Um, The reserve is a, a, I think it's a KFT, so it's a jv field but another top 10 so just having those strong finishes playing good golf a guy that should have no issues with the distance on this course um could be a spot where where he could pop it this week in this field and then um the most part that's a majority of the field of this range that i like i do like bramlett Uh, i think bramlett grades out really well on this course uh getting down to the bottom of this rated 7100 with also a top 10 in his last two outings He's another – all these guys are volatile, right, because these aren't great golfers. But I think Brennan, with, with the score and the price, he could be a really interesting play here as well. And the last guy in this range that I just want to touch on um, as an interesting play. He, he's not in great form. He's actually missed his last four cuts. So you got to take a bit roll, a bit of the dice here. But it's Eric Van Ruyen. Eric Van Ruyen, we've had him on as a guy we would target in regular tournaments before as a value play. Uh, if he finds it, he puts – He's as talented as a lot of these guys in this field. He's just, you're you're taking a risk because he's not in the best form. So if you want to roll that dice, um, you know, it could be worth it. Maybe a bigger tournament.
0: Yeah, I think ABR is a smart play. I think we might have been worried yesterday that he might withdraw if he qualified for the U.S. Open. And and I there, there's a couple things like kind of like some moving parts still going on where we still could see withdrawals. I think I'm not as caught up as I need to be on on what's happened today, but um, definitely monitor the withdrawals because it, you know into Wednesday night, you know on Discord or however you want to do it. Because I don't I don't want to say it's likely, but I wouldn't be shocked if we have like two or three more withdrawals. <laughs> and the last thing you want is to have that in your lineup Thursday morning. Obviously. And I would say give yourself a chance on
1: Thursday morning before it starts. Set an alarm 10, 15 minutes before it. Make sure you double check if anyone withdraw last second so that if that did happen, you can replace those players. And don't just wake up a half hour after tee off and be like, oh, I'm screwed because someone withdrew and I didn't. Mm. Wake up early enough to make a new replacement.
0: Yeah, and just FYI, the tea times, uh, and I'm talking East Coast time here, it's 7 o'clock a.m. Is Scott Brown's the first one to go out with Robert Garagas and uh, Bo Hogue at 7 a.m.? Oh, and Jonas Blixt, Um, Barnes and Hostler. So 7 a.m. is the first tea time. So if you are going to do that alarm thing, you know, you definitely probably want to set it at like 630, 640. It'll give you just enough time unless you're in like 150 max and you need more time than that. But it'll give you just enough time to scan, you know, your 15 or 20 lineups or 10, however many you do and get some guys out of there. That's definitely really good advice. Um, I did have something to say about one of your 7K guys. Oh, it was EVR. So it was just, you know, just keep monitoring that. I think Patrick Rogers is another guy that I might have to take a kind of a deeper dive into as well. Uh Probably not James Hahn, but that's a guy I normally like. Probably not on this course. So 6K range, Joel. I don't like much, as you might appreciate with this talent field, but I really like Hank Leviota. I bet him outright when the lines came out on Monday morning at 150 to 1. Leviota ranks, I mean, he's really high on my model. Whether you're looking at 24 rounds or 12, I like to kind of like, when I'm modeling, I like to use the 24, and then I like to cross-check that with 12. And by the way, you know, I should probably mention this because I'm looking at some some notes that I have. Some of the guys, this isn't an, an exhaustive list, but some of the guys that both checked the box for 24 rounds and checked the box for 12 rounds. I have a few notes here. I just want to mention their names because I'd be remiss if I didn't. Uh, Alex Norn, Vincent Whaley, Roger Sloan, Ben Martin, Lebiota, Luke List, Stallings. The disclaimer here is these were guys I already liked. These were guys that already were high on my 24-round model. And guys that I was, you know, because they were high on my 24 model, I knew I was going to check that box. So all those names I just mentioned have been both good short term and long term. If you want to consider 24 rounds long term, a lot of people think, you know, 50 rounds is the metric you want to go by. That's 36 rounds. Maybe that's not really for me. I I like to see uh, 24 rounds and in. So just kind of a note there. Those are guys that those names I just said all checked out, both short and long term. I will say this about Lucas Glover because he is really popular for good reason. Now, if you look at his 24 rounds, he's going to rate out really well in your model. He's he's actually fifth in mine. But if you run the 12 rounds, he, he falls back to 68th because in the last 12 rounds, the approach game hasn't been there like it was the 12 rounds prior to that. So that doesn't mean he's an awful play. That doesn't mean you need to get off the chalk. He's still a good play. He's still a great course fit. And he he should do well here. But just know that his approach game lately hasn't been as good as it was, let's say, two to three months ago. So it's just something to consider when you're looking at stats. You know, if you look at his last, I mean, you can look at this really, and you don't need a model to do this. You can literally like go to probably pgator.com. I don't use that. But like, there's plenty of sites to use where you can just like look at his last, maybe eight to 12 rounds and just like look at the strokes game metrics. You know, they're not great on approach uh, for Glover the last 12 rounds. So that's just a little side note there. 6K range, Joel. I'll just I'll just mention a few guys. I mentioned Hank Lebiota. He rates out really well for me. I think Cam Percy is an interesting play. He hasn't been very good lately, but I think in this field, Cam Percy makes sense. He'll keep it in the fairway. Um, I, I feel like he's he's probably in line to make a cut, but zero upside with Cam Percy. John Huh is another guy that's actually been really bad lately. But I think he's a good ball striker, and I just think in this field, he could end up having like kind of like a turnaround type tournament where it's like, oh, John Hunt's striking the ball well again. So again, that's that's more of a hunch than something that's actually based on recent stats. But I wanted to throw that out there because I liked the price there. Uh, Robbie Shelton, I think he's you know anybody here is going to be hit or miss. Miss, but Robbie Shelton has shown some hit the last uh, couple of months. Will Gordon, another guy that's been really bad lately. But Will Gordon pops sometimes. And in this field, I wouldn't shock me at all if Will Gordon, especially in a showdown environment, if Will Gordon pops for your team. And then if you really need to go down to the low 6K range, I do not advise going below 6,900, to be honest with you. But I'm just going to throw out a couple just random names that I think could maybe do well here. Uh, Sebastian Kaplan and Jonas Blixt. Um, Jonas Blixt has shown some flashes lately And I think he's a decent course fit here. Listen, the metrics aren't going to bear out. That's why these guys are in the low 6K range. But if for some reason you're playing like a $1.20 max or something or a $3.20 max and you want to just, hey, I got to throw a left field guy out there because I want to jam in Matthew Fitzpatrick and Terrell Hatton or, you know, whatever it is, Sung J.M. and Dustin Johnson and another, you know, low 9K guy and you need to dip down here, maybe Jonas Blixt is the play for you, but I would not advise that. So, Joel – uh, and first of all, any comments about those guys, anybody that stuck out to you as well? And if not, who are your 6K guys? Oh,
1: well, I had a funny story for you. I was doing that. I was trying to jam in DJing some the other guys, and I was trying to find some guys down there. And, and I going back to it was blitzed. It was like a, I, I was – what happened was I ended up doing a whole bunch of lineups and then looking back and being like, I have way too much blitzed in my lineups. <laughs>
0: That's <a> amazing.
1: <laughs> and I feeling way back. I was like, this is, this is not going to work for me. So I did end up having way too much to begin with, and now I've come way off of him since that happened. But he is someone that I've been looking at already a bunch this week. Um, now, in this range, I agree with you. You want to stay as much in this in the low sevens as you can. Uh, one guy in the low sevens that I think we missed, uh, maybe I thought he was in the 6K range, that I like a lot, is uh Sotashi Kodaira, so Kodaira oh. is, is is a guy who's super affordable. He's coming off a tied for eleventh and tied for thirteenth, so that's two top fifteen finishes. Um, you know, grading out stats wise, it's not going to pop off the page, but it does. You know, grade out pretty well off the tee and on approach. So uh, this is a guy, you know, I would I'm not going to go crazy on, but I do like him. I probably favorite, you know, under seventy five. One of my favorite under seventy five hundred dollar plays. Um, I'm with you. I think my favorite player in the 6k range is Hank Lebiota. Um, again, a guy who won't have too many issues with the distance here. He actually grades out pretty well on some of these long holes. Um he's below the seven k range. He's gonna be pretty highly owned, which I don't love, but um, again, we're we're gonna probably uh, this week especially, if you're not eating a little bit of chalk, then you're just pretty much throwing a dart because you know, there's not like these guys are if you, if the guy is not chalky, He's not coming off good form. So you just have to kind of take a risk on him. So um, I'm okay with, with eating a little bit of that chalk there and trying to get different in other places. Another guy you didn't mention that I'll put on your radar. Don't get, don't overthink this and play too much of him. If you want to throw him in a lineup or two to have some fun, that's totally fine. It's going to be John Pock. John Pock's a collegiate golfer who's just won the college player of the year. He's a really, really good amateur golfer, but there's a reason really and not pros. And you know, a guy who's just more experienced is, is a better pick than picking him, but he's the best of the collegiate amateur. So he is capable of stringing together a hot day. I would even say if you want to get different and showdown and taking a shot that pot for him one hot day, you're better off because there is a high likelihood that he has one blow up day or something in, in this tournament and he could miss the cut or something like that. Um, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up both of those guys. I think Kadira is a really smart play. It's funny how well he rates out in my model. Like the 24-round model, he's 24th. And then the 12-round model, he's 12th. Uh, so actually, no, he's he's better than that. I think he was like 7th. So he's great. I mean, the, the the long irons do scare me a little bit, but lately they've been a lot better. And by the way, I mean – I'm assuming I know what metrics to look at, but we've never monitored this course. So, you you know, I don't want to say take the metrics with a grain of salt, but I'm, I'm certainly not as confident about the, the 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 metrics we need to pay attention to this week versus the Memorial last week or versus the U.S. Open next week. So, you know, kind of keep that in mind if you need to revert back to, you know, recent form and maybe some more generic statistics like just general approach instead of like isolating proximities you know you might be okay doing that I, i'm just trying to hone in on, what, on how i think the course is going to play but satoshi kadai is a great play and i gotta be honest i meant to mention john pock i know other guys in, in our win family um isaiah in particular um he was in our discord talking about john pock among other uh, other players yesterday he's a big fan of him i think there's other guys that are fans of him so i think that's a pretty smart play and i think the lack of experience for almost every golfer on this course is probably going to help a guy like Pac because obviously he doesn't have much experience here uh, as well. So uh, yeah, I like that play. I think any, any other 6k guys to mention, did you just cover the list there?
1: The one other guy that I didn't mention that I'll put on, on your radar is Tyler McCumber. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tyler McCumber is a guy who uh, should grid out well here. If you want to go by distance, you know, he's one of the longer hitters on, on um, in the tournament. He actually does pretty well with approach as well. He's not a good putter, uh, so, you know, you're going to have to roll the dice on that front. But, you know, he does have a a top 20 at the Corrales, and uh, he was tied for 33rd at the Honda. So, you know, he he made three of the last five cuts, and then at uh, 6,600, that's really affordable, allowing you to get some of those top-tier guys. So that's another guy maybe to put on your radar down here in the lower 6K
0: range. Yeah, it looks like he's 6,800, and that's a really smart play. What's interesting about McCumber is he's normally, my my understanding and my recollection about McCumber is he's normally really good off the tee, but hasn't been lately. And that's sort of like driving his rank down when you kind of, you know, put the, the numbers into the system. But the good news there is, well, that's his weapon. And unless it's a Matthew Wolf situation where he just loses it for like ever or for a year, then you can, I don't want to say you can count on the off the tee game coming back, but like, it wouldn't be surprising if that off the tee game just rebounded real quick because you know that's that's usually where he his game is and his approach over the last twelve rounds he's sixth in the field. I mean that's I mean he's bad with the putter, okay. Um, he's he's bad out of the sand, which is is going to be potentially a problem on this particular course, but really grades out. You know, really really quite well for somebody in the 6k range i think that's a really really smart leverage play in and maybe not a single entry but in you know somewhere else i think that's a really smart play so i'm glad you brought him up any did we forget anybody is, is there anybody else that hey i forgot to bring him up um this guy rated out super well in my model and for the record we did talk about terrell hadden he is number two in my model I'm it's funny that I'm like kind of like ignoring playing him and I'm gonna play uh Fitzpatrick instead. And Fitzpatrick is 14th in my model, so you'd think, oh, I would just stick with the model, but I just think that Fitzpatrick, to the extent his game is off, it's with that approach, and I think he's gonna bounce back there and everything else checks out. So I just kind of want to throw that out there. Like, I don't necessarily always stick with my model, but I did want to point out it starts with Brooks. Hatton is second. HV3 is third somehow. This is the 24 round model. And then I have Norn and Glover. But again, that cha- and then Whaley's right after that. But but that changes once you go to the 12 rounds and 36 rounds. So it's really just kind con- of comes down to what's working for you. I can tell you the last few weeks I've done pretty well, um, especially since going to this 24 round model and then cross checking the 12. So, you know, everybody's different. I, I know people use 50 as, as their baseline measurement. And I'm, if that works for them, then. That's cool with me, but Joel, anything else before we get to our outrights and our first round leaders? So right, right before we leave th- this port, I'll just there's three guys that end up in my top twenty of my model
1: that we didn't mention, so I'll just mm-hmm. throw them out there. They're at the bottom, they're close to twenty, but it's Josh Teeter, Chris Ventura, and Bo Hogue. So these are all guys that you know are volatile. They're not wouldn't be highly owned, but they graded up well for the metrics that I was prioritizing on this course. So if you're looking for some different guys, you know I, I will have some shares of them as
0: well. Yeah. And of those guys, I'll tell you that Bo Hogue graded out really, really well for me as well. So that is because um, and I, I can tell you that me and Joel, we build our models differently. I'm pretty, pretty positive about that. So the fact that Bo Hogue, who had a really good week last week, by the way, the fact that he checked out for both of our models, which are created much differently, uh, is pretty telling. And it makes me think I need to uh, really deep dive on Hogue and probably include him on some teams. So thanks for bringing that up. OK, so have you looked or have you looked at any outrights? Do you have any outrights or first round leaders or both? So um, I'll, how
1: about this? Do you want to go ahead and kick us off on, on this section today?
0: Yeah, let's do it. So let me give you some outrights first. You know, I, I want to say Brooks Koepka at plus 850, but like I'll never do that. I'll never, ever, ever, ever recommend somebody that's like 15 to one or or, or higher or lower, however you want to, you know. I don't know what the proper thing to, is, is to say there. So 15 to one and in, I'm not ever going to recommend. I just want to say, I do think Brooks Kepka is going to win this tournament. So um, with that said, I'm only going to give you, let's see one, two, I'm going to give you three outrights. And then I'm going to give you like six first round leaders. Cause those are the more fun things. Scott Stallings at 80 to one. Ben Martin at 85 to one. And hammer and Hank Lebiot at one forty to one. And as I say that, I know I already put in one additional, uh, one additional outright, and I want to see who it is. Oh, I got Alex Norn at thirty-three to one. So that's the other one. So I'm going to go ahead and recommend that too. So I got Norn at thirty-three to one. I've got Stallings at eighty to one. Ben Martin at eighty-five, and Hank Lebiota at one hundred and forty to one. Those are my outrights. Joel, do you have any outrights for us?
1: Yes, I want to give three outrights that we're going to have some fun with. These are not, you know, heavy hitters. These are going to be long shots. To play with some fun, the first one at um, eighty-five to one is going to be um, the second one at a hundred to one is Seamus Power, and the last play
0: at eighty-five to one is Rafa Cabrera Bello. So, your first, say those again. Your I heard your second and third one, but your first one you broke up. So, what was your first one? Uh, Vincent Whaley at eighty-five to one. Oh, I like that number actually. Okay, and then your second one was what? Uh, Seamus Power at a hundred to one. Fun, and then you add Rafa Cabrera Bayo at eighty-five to one as well. That one is really smart. I think yeah, now that I think about it, I think I, you know, I'm not playing much of Bello in DFS, and it's mostly because I'm not a hundred percent convinced his game is come around. But also, I think he's going to be like pretty popular. Um, That's something I can check in a second, but. I think in the betting market, 85 to 1 for a guy that's playing that well makes a lot of sense. I feel like his number should be closer to like 66 or 60 or even the way he's playing, like 55 to 1. So I think you're getting a lot of value there. So I'm definitely checking that box as well. Listen, like for those of you that are new to golf, this guy Rafa is not like some new kid on the block. Like this guy was like, I don't want to say he was lights out, but three, four years ago, Rafa was – really good at golf and any tournament he was in, you, you had to kind of at least mention him or give him a long look. And then it just kind of went away. And I, I don't know enough about his game, right? his The state of his game right now. And I haven't even really looked at his metrics this tournament, but I don't know what happened to him over the last couple of years, but it's, it's been a pretty bad look. But as I look at it now, he's good off the tee lately Approach is Great putting is very good around the green is even better uh, the, the longer proximities that I'm focused on, good and bad, not nothing terrible. Um, the bogey avoidance is there. The three-putt avoidance isn't terrible. Yeah, man, that, that at 85-1, to one, I'm sorry, that's a value. And if you want a top 20, Rafa, I think that, or especially top 40 him, that makes sense. I'd say the same for Hank Leviota. You know, one of my best bets for the First Cut podcast, which just got posted on Twitter in the middle of the show mm. um, and on uh, Instagram I mean, I usually do like a matchup, like kind of like a a simple one that, you know, it may be like a minus 120 or a plus a 110. But I just said hell with it. I, I said this week, just give me Hank Leviota top 20 because that's all William Hill offered and that's what they use. Top 20 at plus 500. I wish I had gotten a top 40 number because I didn't want to recommend top 20. I, I much enjoy top 40s because it gives you a much bigger safety net. But um yeah, the guys like – like, there's a lot of guys that have value that are that are down in that 6, 7, 8K range. So when you consider them in the outright market, top 20, top 40, it makes a lot of sense. All right. Have you looked at any first-round leaders? I do. I got a handful.
1: Uh, okay. Again, we're, we're swinging for the fences here, right? So we're not – no one's taking DJ for first-round leader. It makes no sense. Let's go it's, it's swing as far as we can, throw our backs out while we do it. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the first one going to go is 150-1 to one is Chris Ventura. So the the thing I love Chris so much is we've seen Chris pop. It hasn't been recently. He's been playing great, but a lot of the metrics that I thought we should prioritize for this course, he graded out pretty well on. So if if it clicks him this week, I think he can get one of those really low days. So that's why I like him his, as a first round leader play. I think he's probably due to blow up one of the days. So I don't want to play too much of him tournament long, but for a first round leader, I think he could be a, a smart play, especially at 150 to one, which is which is a huge number. Um and then there's a couple other 100 to 1 plays I like as well. The first I'm going to go with JJ Spawn at 125 to 1. So JJ if you don't remember last tournament he came out and shot like a 63 in the first round which you know was unbelievable and then he kind of blew up. So we're going back to if he can do back to back first round on fires and and hopefully the you know the putter doesn't fall apart until later in the week. Um uh, the the next play I want to kind of throw out there we're sticking in the in 100 to 1 uh, it, well, it's he's ninety to one, but it's Eric Van Ruyen. So we mentioned him on the DFS side. Uh, he's definitely somebody that can can get hot for a day and go really low. So at ninety to one, I think I think you're getting a really good number on him as well. And uh, and that'll probably round out my, my
0: first round plays for, for this game. So. Um... Yeah, Spawn is interesting. Uh, actually, Greg Ducharme brought up Spawn on the DFS show, and and I I think that's kind of a sneaky play for DFS too. So especially in this field, so I like that play a lot. I like all those plays. So okay, first round leader, let's go with uh, Lucas Glover at forty to one. And and I don't love that one. I don't love the number, but for a guy that is familiar with the course, it does make sense to maybe give him an edge for like the first day, whether it's showdown or first round leader. It doesn't usually bear out because he's up against one hundred you know fifty some other golfers, but it's just something I mean forty to one's a decent enough number. Pat uh, Patton Kazire at sixty to one. I like that. I think he, this is a guy that can get hot at any moment he's kind of in that uh, Keith Mitchell ilk which I don't have a, as a first round leader, but same type of guy that can just get really hot at any given moment. so I think those types of guys are good for first round leader. I have Rafa at sixty six to one. so I'm glad we're on the same page there. I'm trying to figure out I have three more. I'm trying to figure out who's going to be the breaking news. All right. I've figured it out. So Ben Martin is 70 to one. That's another first round leader I like. And Joel, I know you agree with that one. Hmm. I have two more. And this is a big debate for me. I'm not going to do the tie the tie thing like I did last week. So, all right. Scott Stallings is 70 to one. He was going to be the breaking news. And for those of you that don't know, the breaking news is my revelation on a Tuesday night as to who is going to be the first round leader, in this case, at Congaree on Thursday night. Uh, and I was going to say it's going to be Scott Stallings at 70 to one, but I've changed my mind because I have come to the realization in the, in these last 30 seconds, Joel and audience, thanks for watching that the first round leader on Thursday night at the Palmetto championship at Congaree is going to be at 90 to one. And by the way, it's Tuesday night. It's June 8th. It's nine o three 3 PM. I'm telling you this like what, What is it? Basically 48 hours in advance. So you're welcome, by the way. But your first round leader at 90 to one is none other than friend of the show. I just made that up. Soon to be friend of the show because of this call right here. First round leader is Hank Lebiota at 90 to one. America, you're welcome. Joel, your response you know what's funny? I've All
1: week, I, I've been spending a lot of time building lines this week, playing through it, and throughout my head, I just kept this replaying thought of my head of hammering Hank Leviota. Hammering <laughs> I'm in. I am so in. Let's go. He's a great value this week. I mean, what I love most, and a lot of kind of the theme of, of this week is, like, guys like that, he's just as good as those other guys in the eight, low 8,000 range, and he's mm-hmm. way underpriced. Uh, and so I think, you know, it's hard for bookmakers to, to decipher like, when the tournament's this much different with it being so top heavy. So it makes it difficult where we can easily find these advantages like that one. So I, I love it.
0: Yeah. And for the record, uh, if if you go the last 12 rounds, Lebiota is like almost number one in this field. I mean, he's he's pretty good off the tee. Great on approach good with the putter, good around the green, really good at the, the longer proximities that I personally was focused on, good in sand saves, great in bogey avoidance, not great in three-putt avoidance, but again, you contrast that against the putter. Uh, and uh, good drives, he's he's great there too. So Hank Lebiota is your first-round leader, folks. So Hank, when you watch this clip, because what happens is, Hank, when you, uh, I don't know if he goes by Henry or Hank, but I'm pretty sure it's it's Hank on on DFS. It's on, on DraftKings, so he goes by Hank. So the point is, Hank, When you become first round leader or if you win outright, because I'm going to have both tickets, 90 to one first round leader, I already have the, I actually got him at 150 to one. It's now 140 to one. So people are paying attention to Hank. But when you hit the first round leader and the outright or one of each, um, you got to come on the show. So this is my, this is my message to Mr. Lebiota. You got to come on the show because we put the faith in you that you needed to get to the top. And I just want to say you're welcome for that. Uh, Joel, closing thoughts. What did we miss?
1: Not much. I mean, for the most part this week, I wouldn't make this your heaviest um, betting, like just cash betting week, because I think there's a lot of volatility in this field and, and the new courts and all that kind of stuff. But I do think it, it is a good way for us to handicap the DFS salaries. I think we can find a lot of value and leverage there. So that's where my confidence is in, is in the DFS side. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I think there's a there's a price discrepancy, even as expensive as DJ and Kepka are, they're so much better than everyone else, that the only thing hurting us is them withdrawing at the last minute. So hammer them in and, and let's win some money.
0: Totally agree. We do have this uh, one question from friend of the show. Um, are you guys betting the long shots each way or only? So in where I bet, I don't really get the each way option. I'll get like a top 10, top 20, top 40. So maybe that's what you're referring to. But my understanding is some of the books, uh, some of the European books have the outright with a tandem each way option. I don't get those. And and Joel, I'm guessing you don't get those either. So I don't know if you have the same answer. me? I I actually don't know what you mean by each way. So each way is in, in, you know, because I don't bet it, maybe, maybe he can explain, but essentially you're betting the outright with the option of them being in the top five or top eight or however far the each way goes. So you're, you're basically betting the outright, but you're also doing like a tandem bet where you're getting Different odds, obviously, that they're going to finish like in a top five, top eight, top ten.
1: So is this essentially multiple bets or is this you get yes. left, uh, So it's multiple bets. It's
0: it's multiple bets. Right. Uh-huh.
1: So um no, I won't do that because um, listen, if you want to do something like that with like DJ or Kepka, okay, but you're not gonna get good number. So, you know, I don't think it's worth doing that. And then on the guys, most of these guys in this field are so volatile that I don't love, you know. I like taking the outright or maybe a top five because, you know, I think they're going to do well, but they can also miss the cut. And then, you know, you're just losing all your money. So I probably won't overexpose myself to too many bets on guys because nobody have all that much confidence other than, you know, the top
0: tier. So are you ready? So before I close the show, how about I do this? Let me give you the final scene of A Few Good Men. I need to like take a deep breath, but instead of, instead of like, I'm not going to act it out. Cause I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually kind of like a, a wannabe actor, but I'm certainly not an actor. Um, I'll do it like hyper speed.
1: I'm okay. going to do
0: just the, have you seen a few good men? No. <laughs> oh no. How old are you, Joel? Um, 33. Okay. So that, that should be in the per- I mean, it, it is, it is a little before your time, Joel, I'm telling you, so maybe we'll do this next week because well, you're not going to see the movie between now and then. Whenever you see the movie, you got to let me know. And then this, that, that whole Jack Nicholson, you know, that, you know that scene where he's like, you can't handle the truth. I know the scene, yes. yeah. So once he says you can't handle the truth, he goes off on this diatribe about how Daniel Alistair Caffey, otherwise known as Tom Cruise, like, doesn't understand really how it works in the armed forces and that kind of thing. And it's a cool scene. And Jessup, Colonel Jessup, otherwise known as Jack Nicholson, he like delivers it. And it so motivated me, that whole movie and the whole dynamic, the courtroom dynamic. I literally started applying to law schools as a result of that movie and got in and practiced law for 14 years before I jumped ship and started doing other things. But that's I just ha- I just happen to have it memorized. It's like kind of like a long scene. So you got to watch the movie and then you come back. You tell me you watch the movie and then uh, I'm going to hyper speed give you everything, uh, everything in that last scene. How about that? I think that's fair. I got homework to do. I'm down for this. Nice. And it really is a good movie, by the way, um, on, on a lot of different levels, acting, message, all of that stuff. OK, ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I think that's our show. Joel, any closing thoughts? I mean, we have the U.S. Open n- next week. I know you, you want to keep your bankroll down, but uh, because this is kind of like a weird tournament. But it, it, where's the edge here in DFS? Is is it at the top? Because people are just ignoring Hey, that Brooks Koepka is kind of underpriced when you think about it. And a DJ is kind of underpriced or is it, or is it at that seven K, you know, you know, upper seven K lower seven K range where it's like, Hey man, everybody thinks these are dart throws, but some of these aren't really dart throws and are actually going to get you your six for six. Like where's the edge in this tournament? If you had to pick one, I can't get away from the top tier. I just, to me, I I haven't
1: seen, I haven't seen a breakup down this wide in a long time. I mean, DJ is the most expensive guy at this same price when the field includes Rom, Spieth, Rory, uh, Colin Morikawa, Hoffman, and it doesn't have any of those guys, and he's the same price he would be if it did. So I see a huge discrepancy. I think DJ could have a bad day and still do really well here. So he doesn't even need to be the best version of himself to, to win. And same with Kepka and same with uh, Hatton and, and, and Fitzpatrick to a lower degree. So for me, I'm going to be hammering them in and uh, – and then you just got to hit on the, on the lower tier guys. You got to make sure you find those right guys. And if you do,
0: then I think you're going to make some money. To if we're right that DJ and Brooks are going to, quote, try to win this tournament, then you're really, to Joel's initial point when we started the show, you are, you are really getting a bargain because even if day one doesn't go as, quote, planned, because maybe there are three shots back of the leader or five shots back of the leader, the odds that a DJ and Brooks who are trying to win the tournament, I'm assuming that to be true, over four days aren't going to surpass the random guy who shoots lower than them on day one and the other random, because it's not going to be the same, the other random guy that shoots lower them on, you know, than them in day two. The odds that over a four day sample size, they don't completely crush this field. Uh, or at least 95% of this field are so low if they're trying to win the tournament. So yeah, I'm willing to be out on, you know, however big that island happens to be. I'm whether I'm happy to be on the island of they're going to try to win this tournament. Because they're here, and they're so much better. And once, if they can smell and taste victory because they put a couple good rounds together, they're just going to pour it on. And I don't think there's many people in this tournament that can keep up. So I agree with you, Joel. I think that's where the edge is. Awesome. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. Next week, it's a big show. But we're going to have six fifty with us. And then we're going to be talking the U.S. Open. There's going to be a lot of really cool tournaments, DraftKings, FanDuel-wise, and we're going to have a lot to say, both in the betting and the DFS market. So join us then. But for now, we'll leave you. Good luck this weekend and sports. Sports. <laughs>